This podcast is sponsored by Inspiration Knits. Inspiration Knits patterns are designed to showcase the gorgeous colours and special yarns. Designer Louise Zass-Bangham creates flexible patterns so you can use hand-dyed yarns, those irresistible impulse buys, and the beauties that have been waiting in your stash for the right pattern to come along. Louise's patterns have a reputation for being clearly written and a pleasure to knit. Check out Louise's modern accessory designs at inspirationknits.com. Hello! And welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly. I'm Lydia Gluck, and here I am, as I am, once a month, with the lovely Sophie Scott. Hooray! Hooray! A new month! (laughs) (laughs) Or rather, the end of one month. Goodbye, April. It's been fun. We hope your April's been fun as well. So, this podcast, as usual, we have uh, Tell and Tell, where we tell you guys and each other about our knits. Uh, We've got a top tip... Tip top top tip. Uh, this is a knitting based podcast, so we like to keep those uh, needle tips sharpened. <laughs> we do. We'll have our news and reviews and an interview. Interview. This uh, podcast is with Rachel Atkinson, who uh, is part of the Pom Pom crew for many a year. She Fabulous is. knitter and tech editor. She certainly is. And now, a uh, producer of Fabulous Yarn. Yeah. So we're going to talk to her about all those many hats she wears and whether they're all hand-knitted or not. I'm sure they are. Hard-hitting journalism from the Pom Pom team. <laughs> uh, we've also got Knitters You Should Know About, our little fact-based section. Mm-hmm. Good to have the facts in there. Mm-hmm. And the distinctly unfact-based section, which is top three. Um, but of course, you uh, will have to wait till the end of the episode to find out what exactly we'll be listing. I can't wait. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> We've got to start this podcast with, of course, the things you need to know on a knit-to-know basis. That's the new pun that we have for this section now, <laughs> which I was very pleased with. And I was very pleased that uh, Sophie came up with it, since she is... Working the... away. Wait a minute, Lydia, Lydia, what about this? What about this? Genius! <laughs> I love it, I can see it in lights. <laughs> so on a knit-to-know basis, what have we got for the people? What have you been up to? That's basically well, what we're asking. yeah. <laughs> I recently had a birthday. Hooray! I am now... Happy birthday. Thank you. I've said that already. Come on. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, Sophie was very punctual with her birthday wishes. She didn't wait till mm-hmm. this recording mm-hmm. to tell me um, that she was pleased that I was still alive. It was good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I had a nice day and I am now a year older, a year closer to 30, going to be 30 next year. Wow. I'm excited about it. Good for you. I think it's going to be good. And I'm also excited for the year leading up to it. You know, I don't just want to skip to 30. No. I'm, I'm into the time between now and then. Um, I also went and saw the new Disney Jungle Book. Hey, how was that? It was great. Uh, it was punctuated by some slightly, well, very British events. I.e., So we went to see it for a friend's birthday uh, in the daytime, sort of late afternoon showing mm-hmm. uh, in 3D. We were all very excited. We got there, got our popcorn got a bottle of wine wow don't worry guys i'm almost 30 it's fine (laughs) um so we got this bottle of wine we were all excited went into the theater had our 3d glasses ready Mm -hmm. we were watching the film oh it's not it's a bit it doesn't quite you know my three my glasses aren't working what's happening looked around and everybody was doing the same and looking at their glasses oh my god glasses aren't working member of staff came in, turned the film off. This is about 15 minutes into the film no. as well, so everybody was getting... There were lots of people sort of running up and down the aisles going to ask for help, you know. But everybody was like, oh, it's, it must be me, it must be me. And then somebody, they had to turn it off and apologise and we had to wait for the um, projector to reset. And in the meantime, because of course it was mostly kids and their parents watching this film, kids were just running around, <laughs> like running around, the, which I thought was brilliant. Like and a then, wild jungle child. Exactly. I was like, ah, this is good. These people are exactly the setting sort of people. Setting the scene. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, we ended up watching it in 2D, which didn't diminish my enjoyment at all. Um, and I would highly recommend it, especially if you are a fan of the original Jungle Book, which I am. Uh, there were little nods to the original. It's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Not all of the songs yeah. are in it, for example. What? Bits of songs. But there are some cool voices. Do they have the... Uh, birds that kind of are like the Beatles. They do in a way. Oh, gosh. There's like nods to it, you know? Okay, good, good. Um, but I, I thoroughly, because I was going because somebody else wanted to for their birthday, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. So that's like my main two things that have happened this month. Nice. Enjoyable things. I'm going with things 
that I'm enjoying. Good. Yeah. Tell us more. On a knit-to-know basis, um, I'm obsessed with this new game you can get on your iPhone called, I don't know about the pronunciation, called Neko Asumi. Asumi. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, did you ever have a Tamagotchi? Did you, I? Well, there you go. It's kind of like that where you have a little character, but it's like less commitment. Mm-hmm. And you have a little garden and you can put out toys and food and then tiny digital cats come and visit you. <laughs> I think you've definitely showed me this game. I've shown a lot of people this game. <laughs> Fiona Alice, who we spoke to on this podcast and who we are uh, good friends with, I kept saying to her, like, no, 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 you really need to get this game. And she's like, oh, okay. You know when you're saying to someone, like, no, 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 it's really good. You definitely need to get it. And she did. And now we're both kind of collect all the different cats. There's, like, special <laughs> cats that arrive, like Chairman Meow. Oh, he's uh, my favourite. Yeah. And there's, like, uh, Mr. Meowgi, like... <laughs> Little sunset kind of. So basically, what you're saying is you like a game that has cats and puns. Pretty. Oh my gosh! Yes, that's <laughs> why it works. So I'm, I'm enjoying that a lot. That's um, dedicating quite a lot of my time. Also, on a slightly more highbrow uh, way, <laughs> um, there's a new uh, Instagram account I'm really enjoying, which I think you and I'm saying you as in the collective podcast uh, enjoyment. The podcasts. The podcasts mm-hmm. and Lydia. Yes. Called uh, Gage Review. Uh-huh. Um, I can't remember how I found it, but basically it's like a collection of maybe scenes from films or paintings mm-hmm. or magazine adverts and things like that, all relating to knitting, some of them weaving, majority of them knitting based, uh, you know, content. Mm-hmm. So there'd be maybe the scene from Lost in Translation. She's actually knitting a scarf in that. And some of them are ones that I recognise, and that's nice. And then there's completely off-the-wall films, which, you know, I've never heard of mm-hmm. or seen. And it's interesting to see the little uh, little hints of knitwear within these. Ooh. And then it kind of makes me want to go and find all these films. So I'm. That's they also have cool. a Tumblr, which I found out recently. But I just kind of really like that little interesting kind of popping up in my feed every now and again. That's a sort of good way to... Um come across films that you maybe wouldn't have exactly yeah you come across it's sort of like a, a like a pub crawl but a film crawl yeah but only things that have knitting in them yeah so that's it's very cool gauge review that's my uh thing to you need yeah. to know this is uh you know it's a mixed cultural bag this podcast will weave the story of all these different places and events for your interest exactly move on to the next one then um so tell and tell we tell each other and you guys what we've been knitting and what have you been knitting lydia i've been knitting a perpendicular shawl from the spring issue very good um, which i very i just sort of because it's um 350 gram skeins required for the pattern and i had a skein of the uh pearl soho line weight that i bought in new york last summer which is almost 500 yards in a skein and I just sort of decided that, that was probably enough. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to go with your gut I on was these just things. Like, That's probably fine. It's not fine. Well, it's fine, obviously, as in... It's very fine. Still... It's very thin yarn, yes. Exactly. Hey, hey. Um, So I have mostly finished that. I've just got a kind of end bit. But basically, I've got another skein of line weight in a different colour that I'm going to finish it off with. It's going to sort of look like one of the tips has been dipped in paint. That sounds nice. So I was just thinking yeah. about it like that. Like it'll just... Because I thought about striping one of the sides, but I... It was just before I was going away and my tiny brain couldn't decide on a colour combination, basically. I just was like going through all of my stash. And I, you know, four ply is something that I think probably most knitters have an abundance of. So I was sort of going through all these different four ply. Yes, me and Sophie both just sort of looked at the pile of yarn. Yeah, we're in Lydia's room and we're like, oh, look at all that yarn. (laughs) So I just, you know, after hours of looking at different colour combinations, I was just like, never mind, I'll just knit it in this colour. But I'm actually quite pleased about my uh, inadvertent design decision. So what are the colours like? What what combo have you gone for? So what I've got is a colour called Peacock, which is a very pretty kind of dark teal. Mm -hmm. Um... Not a navy, but that sort of tone. Like it's quite dark blue, okay. but not like you know, but greeny. <laughs> Much like a peacock's interesting, feathers. Interesting. Interesting. It's yeah. almost like they named it to evoke the colour. Those guys. And then the other colour is a very sort of acidy yellowy green, uh, oh, which I can't fun. remember the name of. But yeah, I think together they'll be fun. Yeah. Um, so that's a thing. How about you? Nice. Um, I'm still. I've been quite dedicated monogamous even which we were talking about mm-hmm. about uh, how to stay motivated 
I'm working on the Terra Shawl, which is a Brooklyn mm -hmm. Tweed pattern. Just chugging along with that very nicely. And also Garland, which I've been doing for many a month. But still, <laughs> that's going well. I think because it's a lot of stocking stitch with that. I think I've got a nice balance now because the Terra has a little bit of lace. Um, and then the Garland's just plain stocking stitch. So I'm able to kind of keep a bit of interest, but kind of something to chug along with. So I found nice. a nice balance with that. Good. And I've been kind of reorganizing stash at the moment. I've decided summer projects is going to be socks. I'm going to have a summer of socks. I'm going to have SOS. Of, yeah. Little portable <laughs> projects. You know, I've got quite a nice little collection of sock yarn I want to do some fun things with. I've also started appreciating my hand knit socks much more. I've been like really enjoying wearing them. So that's my plans for the summer. Awesome. Well, and I've all just finished making my right angle top mm -hmm. which I haven't actually worn yet oh wait you said you'd we, you'd finish this by the time we spoke on air and I know and I did it I spent like hours and hours seaming it and it's so rare that I make something that has so many seams um you know I like the way seamed things look and I like the vintagey shape of that top um it's one of the very appealing things about it and you can't get that shape without having seams I think it really and the structure of it is due to this, you know, we know this as knitters, that knitting things seamlessly is awesome and cool. Knitting things with seams also awesome and cool. It's just that when you think you've finished, you have those- You've only just started, You've only my just friend. started, exactly. <laughs> so I spent a few hours seaming, but very enjoyable hours whilst listening to uh, many podcasts mm. and just finished the neckband. So what I need to do now is the final sort of steam block kind of and then the big reveal where I try it on do you need to do it with like a little protractor so you make sure you get all the right angles definite on that on that garment do I? something well, like that yeah that's why I haven't finished it right there we so. go need to dig out the protractor so to our tip top top tip section where we share top tips with each other and also we get you go we crowdsource the top tips because I mean why not we've got all the podcasts brains Who's, as well as yeah. our own <laughs> who's gonna know more about knitting than knitters <laughs> So just to revisit some of the things we talked about in the last podcast, mm -hmm. maybe even a podcast before that, uh, we were talking about motivation. And interestingly enough, uh, one of the podcasts, Rachel Lili, mm -hmm. Lili, we're calling you that, that's your RAV name now. RLL. Yes. Um, <laughs> she gave us a great tip about being monogamous to her projects. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, just choose the one, focus on that, you've got to plod through it, it'll take time, but yes, have a good and wholesome way. And I thought it was quite funny, she came onto the forums to admit that she'd actually failed in her monogamous ways. And she's like, oh, I actually finished a mini project which I was doing in between her right angle that she was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so she cast on something new. So, I mean, what does that say for the... She was tip? the leader of the monogamy yeah. gang. She's <laughs> let us all down. No, not really, Rachel. We're just glad that you're... <laughs> well, she's cast on a mountain moss shawl, which is a very lovely pom-pom project. So, I mean, if you're going to break your monogamy... What yeah. better way to do it? <laughs> Keep it in the family. <laughs> Should I finish that sentence? Anyway. <laughs> um, and we also have... These metaphors are going too <laughs> far. Getting too sexy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and we also have... Uh, Sophie had talked previously in another tip top top tip section about ways of remembering um, the difference between make one left and make one right. And we had a little tip from Diana Waller which she thinks she got from Stephen West. So the plot thickens, uh, which is a little uh, kind of sentence, uh, which I will read out. I left the front door open. I'll be right back. So, so tell us, unpack that for us. So I was saying to remember, make one right, you think right back, because those words just make sense to me. Together. Like, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. So the needle goes to the back and then it's, you know, you're picking it up like that mm -hmm. and you're making a, a right-leaning increase. But uh, Diana Wallace got a whole little sentence which makes much more sense. So, yeah, I left the front door open. So front, left the front, yeah. and I'll be right back. So it's just like a, an easy way to remember that when you're making one left, the needle goes in from the front. Mm -hmm. And when you're making one right, back. People, when I've talked to people about doing a knitting podcast, and they're like, how do you explain how to knit in a podcast? And I was like, no, 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 it's not about that. But now I realise we are getting to that point where <laughs> yeah. we're explaining how to knit without a visual, <laughs> just through your ears. So we recommend picking up a pair of needles and having a go and putting these words together with an action. I think it would make a lot more sense. That's true. That's true. 
Um, but what is our? We've got a very quick and we've got a less philosophical top tip. Yeah. This week. I thought well, I thought this was a standard thing, and when I mentioned it to Lydia, she's like, "No, that's cool." So. If you have metal needles, and sometimes they just get a little bit sticky, mm-hmm. not that you've been eating sweeties while you've been knitting. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you That's have. Why mine gets sticky. Lydia, yeah. <laughs> um, just kind of just the natural grease on your hands, mm-hmm. I suppose. If you run them through your hair, it kind of stops them getting so sticky. So like just Which, like yeah. along your scalp, it's actually quite pleasant, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like as if you're sort of scratching your head. Kind of, but yeah. Don't but, actually do Don't know. Be careful, guys. But yeah, that kind of like takes off some of the the residue, I guess. Mmm, <laughs> what a delicious way of explaining this. Well, my granny used to do that. I think she had the very long metal needles. She just like whizzed them through her, her you know, Do you think blue the rinse. stickiness comes from your hands or from the wool? I always thought it was your hands. Just naturally, you have like oils just naturally on your hands. But but, that's, but then is that not is that different oil from head oil? Yeah, well, I thought it's because your hair, in theory. Well, if your hair is really greasy, like maybe. Wait a day. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, I think just the, the kind of the natural dryness of your hair, I suppose. It just kind of takes off some of the staticky... That's good to know. Try it, guys. Yeah. And any other top tips, we'd always love to hear them. So uh, this is a good point to remind you guys that we have a Ravelry forum um, on the Pom Pom group. And also we have an email address, which is podcast at pompommag.com. It is. So you can send us... I don't know, any sort of suggestions you have or like, so top tips, for example, Mm -hmm. anything you'd like to share or maybe if you'd like to augment our top tips or if you think our tips aren't top enough, that's fine too. Um, But also, we like getting fun uh, fan mail style things. Oh, yeah. We we got one of these. This is a good segue. (laughs) Yeah, this is. So this is from a few months ago as well, and I kept meaning to mention it and kept forgetting. So apologies to Jennifer O'Brien, but thanks also to Jennifer O'Brien, who sent us a picture of her listening to the podcast. Um, So it was a nice little picture of her listening, and she lives uh, in Victoria, Australia, and you can see a little bit of where she lives uh, in the mountains in rural, uh, rural Australia there, which is fun to imagine... And not even have to imagine to be able to see a picture of somebody listening to us all the way on the other side of the world where everything's upside down. And back to front. (laughs) So yeah, thank you for that. It was really nice. And if you ever miss anything on the podcast or you want to find out more information, we have a blog post on the Pom Pom website. We always update that with more info and links and sometimes there's fun photos. So you can always Mm. check out there. And often we also have a giveaway that links into the podcast. We certainly do. And um, this month, I keep wanting to say week. We never do a weekly podcast. This month, we have a brilliant giveaway from the lovely Louise, who of Inspiration Knits, who is sponsoring this podcast. Um, so if you're listening within a certain time frame, within the first couple of weeks that this podcast is released, you can go and check that out. We've got a giveaway of her brilliant book, Knit Play Colour. Yes, that's one of her most recent releases, uh, sort of late last year. It's a collection of shawls, cowls, patterns, you know, your usual beautiful selection Lovely of patterns. accessories. It's got ten, as a pattern book on its own, you've got mm-hmm. ten fantastic designs. Within this book, there are options to play with each design, to sort of make it your own. Mm-hmm. That's nice. So it's sort of like a guided, you know, because I guess you always kind of have that option, but maybe it's always nice to know... Or to get tips from the designer, like which bits they think are most uh, flexible within yeah. their design. And especially if it's, if you haven't done much, uh, you know, if you've always pretty much stuck to the pattern, um, but you would like to do a bit of exploring, this is a good way to start doing that, but without kind of just going out on your own, just wandering off into the desert of knitting without any water of of help. <laughs> so yes, to provide you with some swatches for shade. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Louise has a little examples of swatches and some samples and it takes you through the process of maybe just even the starting points, choosing a different colour. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also options to change the size, maybe play around with the different yarn gauge that you might use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so all sorts of stuff. So um, if you are listening to this in time, or even if you're not, go and check out the show notes, but also you can enter the competition to win it there. And thanks, Louise, again, for sponsoring this podcast. The news this month is kind of quiet on the pom-pom front, apart from, wait a minute, is that the new issue? 
Oh boy. So uh, issue 17 is very nearly out and about. And if you're a subscriber, very nearly winging its way to you. Uh, issue 17, our summer 2016 issue, which we shot, I think we talked about this last podcast, mm -hmm. was shot in beautiful uh, Austin, Texas, where Megan lives. Um, shot in a pretty place called Redbud. I mean, pretty isn't really a strong enough word. It was absolutely glorious. Um, right by the water. And we're very excited because the previews may well be out by the time you're listening to this. Should be. If not, check the show notes and there'll be a link. And if not, log on to Ravelry and everyone will be faving them anyway. You'll exactly. see them soon. And uh, as it's a summer, you know, I think summer knitting, I mean, I feel like it's good and present and definitely uh, a real thing. It's mm -hmm. the part of knitting that is most confusing to non-knitters, I think. Yeah. Um, but we have lots of really gorgeous tops and a shawl and a really cool bag made of rope. What? Check it out, guys. So definitely check all of that out. Um, in fact, quick, do it now. Do it now. Pause the podcast, check out the, the previews, and then come back and listen to the following part of the podcast. So next we have reviews. So at the beginning of the podcast, we mentioned we're talking to Rachel Atkinson, who started her own yarn brand now. We you say yarn brand? Line? I don't know, I guess, well luckily, so we're going to do this little mini review now and then we get to actually talk to her. So, but anyway, we're, we're holding a skein of the yarn right now. Can Tell you hear me, it? Can you hear it? Cool. Oh, sheepy. <laughs> One of the nicest things, well, there's many nice things about this yarn, is the smell. It is a true, what we like to call, woolly wool. It certainly is. It does smell of lambs and fields and hay. Is that a thing? Yeah. Grass. Sweet grass and hay and sheeps. It does. And it smells of delightful knitting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I mean, we won't talk too much about this because we're going to be able to actually talk to Rachel about it very soon. But uh, to give you guys just a little idea, it's a, it's a double knit and it is a yarn from Hebridean sheep. Mm -hmm. And it was clipped on the 23rd of July, 2015. So one of the nice things about this yarn um, is that it's so... Uh, Britain-centric, mm -hmm. you know, Rachel's taken a lot of time to source all the processes of this yarn to keep it local. The yarn hasn't been dyed, and I think that's part of the intrinsic quality of this yarn, the fact that it's all very naturally sourced. Mm -hmm. um, Rachel's kind of kept the the uh, the natural look of it. So you got this nice soft brown, like a deep kind of treacly brown with soft um, little white flecks of uh, the fleece, mm -hmm. of the hairs. Um, so that kind of gives it a soft halo. You know, you're not getting anything too rough with this, although one would expect like a pure sheep yarn, but it's got like a nice It is nice softer than I thought it, it was yeah. going to be based on reading about it on her blog and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, it is soft, you know, it's still got the kind of, you know that it's sturdy. It's got that yeah. kind of structure of something that's, you know, a kind of British breed, you know, a hardy sheep mm -hmm. and something that hasn't been over-processed. Yeah, and also there's a nice when you're knitting with the yarn, there's a nice bounce to it. And like I said, this kind of soft halo kind of gives a little fuzz to the stitches. So yeah. it's a really nice, a yarn with like quite nice depth. You're not like a plain flat yarn to knit with. So. Yeah, it certainly is. And I'm, I'm pretty sure at this point that it's actually sold out. So if you didn't yeah. manage to get any, then I'm sorry that we're just talking about a thing that you can't get. But you will soon be hearing more about the story of it. And I think, you know, a description of the yarn just helps that... Uh, Segway. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so um, why not talk to Rachel herself about the creation of this lovely yarn? Oh wait, we can! Hey! Here she is! <laughs> so, in a cosy corner of London, we are meeting with Rachel Atkinson, who is a long-term pom-pom friend. Also now has her own yarn range. Um, going to be talking to Rachel about all the wonderful knitting things she does. Hi, we Rachel. are indeed, and we are in, just for a little more context, oh, yeah. we're in Foils, which is where the Christmas party was this year. We're just metres away <laughs> from where the magic was happening. <laughs> but yes, we have Rachel here, the more important part, uh, who is daughter of a shepherd and tech editor extraordinaire and knitter. So hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. You were at the pom pom party, weren't you? I was at the pom pom party. Yeah. yeah. It was um, it was kind of a crazy whirlwind. In fact, 
I didn't actually find the bar at any point. I kept trying to find the bar and then I just get stopped by somebody else. And it's like, I'm never going to get a drink. <laughs> so I didn't. Oh, so. Well, you know, we're just promoting abstinence. And... <laughs> 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 no, it was great. It was really great. It was I had a lot of fun. It is always a whirlwind, those kind of quick get-togethers of everyone doing all the like, hi, 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 hi. Yeah. So we always start with how you came to be a knitter and how did you learn to knit? Um, I think like so many people, I, I was taught by my mum and my grandma when I was young and they, my mum did a lot of knitting and a lot of sewing as well and my grandma also knit baby clothes for us and crocheted as well and mum crochets and um, yeah then I knitted through until I was about 13 knit quite a lot of mohair sweaters well mohair in the loosest yeah. sense in the world yeah <laughs> a loose um, gauge <laughs> loose gauge as well <laughs> Um, and then I, I kind of left it all behind um, when I was about 13 or 14 and picked it up again. Almost 10 years ago now. Yeah. Um, I was really ill and needed something to do, so Mum brought me a ball of wool and some needles and I haven't stopped. Wow, no, yeah, little did she know, really going <laughs> to alter yeah. the course of your life, pretty much. Yeah, it, it, it did, actually, yeah, yeah, completely. I think, I guess, for so many people we talk to, it's not like you go to uni to become a tech editor or indie dyer or, you know, pattern, like, hand-knitting pattern writer. Yeah, you don't at all. And you don't... I, I, I was working at a bookshop and I was knitting on a lunch... Well, I was knitting at every possible opportunity, as you do. So I was knitting on the bus to work, and then when we had a break, I was knitting, and lunch I was knitting. I was knitting on the way home, knitting when I got home, knitting in bed, and I just couldn't stop. And then I started wondering if I could maybe... If knitting could possibly be a job. Is it possible? And... Um, it turns out it is. <laughs> so what was the process? What was your next step in after knitting all possible hours? You were like, how can I make more knitting available? <laughs> so, then I um, I think part of what I really loved about knitting was that I just could keep learning stuff. So you learn how to do your knits and your pearls and you then you learn to do a cable and then you learn to do colour work and then you learn something else. And... Um, I kept learning so much and then I started doing some test knitting for various designers and from there I started wondering if I could get into tech editing which I'd been hearing about vaguely on Twitter. I was like, oh wow, there's this job that yeah. you can do that means you can knit and learn more about knitting. And from there, um, Jen Arnold Culliford, um, I did some work with her and she taught me a little bit. And then we went, well, then I just kind of fell into it. <laughs> I guess I flagged it a little bit, as you have to do in these situations. And you sort of learn on the job. And if you don't know how to do something, then you go and find out how to do it. Yeah. Um, and just kept reading and kept knitting and eventually became my full-time job. Yeah, so. yeah. And you're very good at it, might be. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's quite stressful because you never... It is quite stressful. Um, and especially if there's mistakes and things. It's, hard, it's like the worst feeling in the world. But, yeah, um, yeah, I really enjoy it. Really, yeah, really so what's the it. best... You say that's the worst feeling in the world, but... Yeah. On the other side, what was the best part of it? What's the, what is it that draws you to it? Um, I really like sort of the... I won't be able to think of the word now, but um, taking something from scratch and working through it and editing through it and getting the final end product and then seeing it in print. Um, those work, seeing how different designers work is really interesting. Yeah, that's that's. Every now and again, you'll get a pattern come through and you'll be like, oh my goodness! Like I think one of. Bristol's pattern, her callus. I think it was one of the patterns, first patterns I'd had in a while that I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to change. This is going to change my life kind of thing. And yeah. I sat down with some paper and I cut it out and I did like some origami style mm. um, cut and pasting. And I was like, how has she even thought of this? Yeah. That is really, really 
yeah. It's yeah. sort of getting in, an insight into how how people think is really interesting. Yeah, that's true. And that sh- that shrug really is a sort of engineering masterpiece. Mm. Yeah, it is. Like that's why it's so exciting, and I can see why you were so excited when you started to look at the pattern properly. Yeah, and it was you can usually with patterns you can usually without seeing the sample and without having to knit it you can usually see it in your head how mm. it's going to fit together. And with this, I just. I just couldn't. No. I was like, does this go here? Yeah. And how does that get to here? And why is this doing this? I <laughs> cut out these little pieces from the schematic and I was trying to put them together. And um, anyway, it does. It, it, yeah. it works amazingly. That's interesting you say you could, because do you think that's something, like when you first started tech editing, could you always see the knitting in your head or is that something? Because it sort of feels like when people say, people who are very good at music, for example, and they could read a score hear the music and that to me is like magic yeah like exactly like yeah. magic and actually to me it sounds like magic to be able to, there are obviously some things I can see in my head when I read them but obviously is that something you've developed or do you think it was something that just um so it's definitely developed to a certain yeah. the more the more you do yeah the more you the more patterns you read then the more you understand how the, yeah how certain ones work but yeah that, I think being able to visualize something that's written in words into a 3d object I've always, I'm from an arts background anyway, and I did quite a lot of sculpture and um, I studied fashion as well. So I've always gone from paper to into 3D. So I do have that, my mind does think like that, I guess. It's funny the bits of your past life that become part of your knitting life. Oh my God. (laughs) It really is, it's crazy actually. So yeah, maybe you could tell us about that, what's been your creative journey then? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I went from, I'd always wanted to be a fashion designer, like ever since I was, not since I was really tiny, tiny, but probably since I was about seven or eight, yeah. and that's all I wanted to do. And my um, my mum and dad were both in the rag trade, and um, my my dad used to sell ladies' clothes as well. And so there was always kind of a lot of fashion around, and I just used to sit and draw dresses. Oh, that's all I did was draw dresses, and. Um, Nobody could have taught me out of not going to St. Martin. All I wanted to do was, I want to go to Central St. Martin's and I want to be a fashion designer. And um, and I got there and I did it and it was a massive disappointment. And I left um, at the end of my degree with like qualified in not a lot. And kind of lost my way a bit and went into retail. Um, left fashion behind completely got into book selling wandered into that because reading's always been a huge part of my life and um, I was really really wanted to become a illustrated children's book editor is what I really wanted to do <laughs> and uh, I just couldn't get a break just couldn't get a break into it and from there I drifted into knitting and then it's kind of strange how it's come full circle because I've actually gone I've gone back to fashion yeah. and I've gone back to books and brought them all together so you never quite know where it's all the pieces have kind of fitted together yeah. in a weird way yeah it's it's kind of strange but I'd have never thought I'd go back to do it to, to working with clothes well now you're working with the actual element you're working with yarn so very true <laughs> yeah, we can very talk true. about your yarn label daughter of a shepherd, oh segway yeah. <laughs> Sophie is the mistress I was going to say the master of segways but we'll give her her proper title <laughs> so yeah tell us about growing up as a daughter of a shepherd um, <laughs> it was kind of bonkers yeah yeah it's always um, it was always chaos there was always at least, oh, I don't know, dogs in the back garden, a random sheep. Um, More than one random sheep, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah at times. At times, there was like a whole flock in the back garden if they'd escaped from somewhere, <laughs> um, which they did quite often. <laughs> so it'd be, they'd escape if, at any opportunity they could. That is um, basically a sheep's objective. So I can guarantee, like, if mum and dad were getting ready to go out on a Saturday night, he'd get a phone call, the John the sheep are out, yeah. and off they'd go. And Christmas morning, I remember him going and getting some out of them. I think they'd fallen in a stream or something. No. And, <laughs> and, he, and he texted last week as well, and he's, um, they've got three, three lambs in the kitchen at the moment. So like orphan lambs. Yeah, orphans. So it's never a dull moment. Yeah. Um, but it was I mean it was great fun. We spent 
pretty much every weekend out in the fields. Um, Travelled quite a lot of the country, uh, doing dog trials and markets and things like that. And wow, I can see. Yeah, and uh, we we didn't live on a farm. We didn't live on a farm, or we were on a housing estate in a small new, a new build housing estate in a village in North Yorkshire. So the sheep were grazed wherever they could, where they could get land. So your dad raised them for meat rather than wool. I, do you know, I don't actually know what he was doing. <laughs> I don't know where they went. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like lost over as a young child, you know. Well, no, because we used to... He, he did this really cruel thing of... Um, if you want to include this. But every now and again, we'd get to the end of a Sunday dinner and he'd be like, oh, Curly Whirly was um, a bit tough. Or um, <laughs> poor old Woolly, she didn't... <laughs> she didn't taste too good. Oh no! <laughs> so we, so some did go to slaughter, but yeah. he was mainly using them to train dogs on. Uh, okay. Yeah. So he had the border collies that he liked training, and he needed the sheep to train them on. So it was more about the dogs than the sheep, really. Right. Okay. Um, but, yeah. but now it's about the wool, and it seems this has been a long time coming. It seems like it would, should have been like an logical conclusion that your dad has sheep and you like knitting and then they've come together but it's kind of been a long time coming what was this sort of catalyst to start the project um the main catalyst was uh, his 2014 clip had gone to the british world war to take in most fleeces around the country and um he they got a check i saw him last year and they got a check for 94 pence which, for the whole thing? For the whole thing. And how much, how much wool are we talking about? Like? So we're talking about 400 fleeces. Wow. Um, <laughs> so it they got 95 pence, and that was going to be 10% of the final total that they'd receive for the fleeces. So in total, they would get £9.40. Yeah. I think I think it worked out at around three pence a fleece. And so he was like, there's no point in us doing this. So the 2015 clip was just sitting in our building. On, and they were using it around he, he's shepherds for the Eskrick Park estate just outside York and they were using the fleece around the estate to protect trees and any other uses that they might have and I was just like I'm a knitter like you say I was a knitter there's wool um, it's got to be it has to be worth more than this it has to be and just it was just such a shame to see this amazing fleece that's, it's a really really dark dark brown the Hebridean sheep and um, I, t- I went to Gotland to visit a friend as well, and, I, and they have like you can buy ready-spun wool in the farm shops next to where the sheep are grazing. And I was like, why can't why don't we do this? And I went home and I spoke to Dad at Yarndale, and then spoke to John Arburn, and we did it. And the rest yeah. is history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been a bit of a more longer complicated process. Yeah, you did it. Got there in the end. What did your dad think about all this? Um, he's like a man of few words. So. <laughs> I had a well done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. Oh, I think I had a wow at one point oh, as well. Okay. Yeah. So no, he's um, he's he's really pleased with how it's turned out. So the process from so you got the the fleeces and they went over to John and Juliet, their mill in Devon. Um, and then you said, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and you said that you had no idea what the wool would be like before it arrived. And then when it did arrive, how did you feel then when you opened the boxes? Oh my God, so yeah, I had no clue what it was going to be like. And um, I just burst into tears, basically. Oh. <laughs> I was like, it works, yeah, it works. <laughs> and then I did a little dance and... Um, and that was it. And then started getting it ready to take <laughs> it yeah. to Edinburgh. And then it was like, oh my god, we've got so much work to do now. <laughs> yeah, it was um it was like a huge relief and really exciting. Um and I hadn't even thought that people would buy it. I would I'd hoped they would, or yeah. that we'd have a product to sell, but and then I hadn't even thought that they were gonna knit it and that they'd get excited about oh, I'm gonna do a pattern in it and I'm yeah. gonna do that. Which has been even more overwhelming. I guess I hadn't thought that far ahead. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Wow. 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 Wow
how would you classify the yarn? And like your thoughts about it, like the texture and the colours, how would you describe it? Um, it's, it's, first of all, it's a lot dark. It came up when it, when it turned up. It's a lot darker than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be slightly more chocolatey brown and it's actually a really dark sort of Guinness. Yeah, multi kind Guinness, of brown. That's a good, good colour name, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Jules Wollenflower described yeah. it as Guinness. I was like, yes, that's <laughs> what it is. That's the colour. <laughs> um, and it's it's really soft yeah. as well, which was I was almost like beyond jubilant about that. I'm interested to know is that how the original fleeces felt? Or were they quite, no, no, yeah. they're quite coarse. Yeah. Um, full of lanolin and the, the sheep live near quite close to a main road as well so they're quite dirty and they also graze in woodland so they're it's covered in a lot of plant matter as well and um, so between the scourers and, and, and John Arban at the mill they've done a really amazing job sort of cleaning it and, and combing it and making it into this Amazing, amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, and the other thing I was saying earlier when we were talking about the wool was that you can actually name every single person who's been involved, which is just a really lovely idea in itself. Yeah, that's that's been really important to me, and also to credit those people with their skills. Yeah, because like the scourers do an incredible job, and there's not there's only two big scourers left in the country. Um, and then obviously there's John doing his thing down at the mill John and Juliet doing their spinning which is an incredible magic, skill yeah, it is, it's magic I mean it's but it, but then it's not because it's like years and years of knowledge and work and yeah. and what looks like magic to us yeah <laughs> so it's very much a, very much interesting in kind of preserving skills as well and supporting British manufacturing um, so we also have a couple more of our regular questions we're casting you off onto a desert island. You can take all your needles with you. I can any needles. Yeah. And my hooks. Yeah. yeah, but you're only allowed one yarn. In all the colours, yeah. but just the one base. Okay. So you know the score. What are you taking with you? Taking my daughter of a shepherd yarn. Yeah. yeah. Of course she is. <laughs> what else would it be? It's true. It's true. Good. That so was that a really is... easy question. Yeah. All right. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? She's shaking her head. I have no idea. You've oh, like, like you've had no idea how much I've been thinking about <laughs> this either as well. What sort of type of like a like, bird type oh, animal? No, or like, I didn't. Well, fish. <laughs> fish. Uh, an, or should we? we a waterborne animal. We've cut out aquatic maybe. I yeah. Don't know. Not airborne. Not aquatic. Land-based. I honestly couldn't think. I started okay. thinking. A bear, and then I started thinking an owl, and then That's I started nice. thinking, yeah. but like a bear's quite cool, but then they hibernate all winter, so you miss out on all the knitting time. So. <laughs> oh, it's kind of like a woodlandy kind of. Woodland. Like, what's yeah. the what's the middle ground between a bear and an owl? Some sort of mythical creature. Maybe you're happy being a human. Maybe I am, actually. <laughs> Maybe yeah. humans are the middle ground between owls and bears. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> so, inconclusive. I'm sorry, yeah. listeners. Sorry. <laughs> but anyone who knows Rachel Atkinson well, yeah. feel free to send in... Yeah, do send your suggestions <laughs> on a postcard. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it just sorry. remains to for us to um, say thank you, but also... If people want to look you up online, if they haven't already, where should they go? Uh, you can find me, I blog at mylifeinknitwear.com and the wool uh, is available from daughteroftheshepherd.com. Great. And what's your um, Instagram handle? And oh, so on? yeah. And you'll find me as Knittingtastic on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. And Ramble. Wonderful. Brilliant. So, Thank you very much. Thanks, Rachel. You're Thanks, welcome. Rachel. Thank you. <laughs>
people to respect who are the knitting gurus. Gurus, yes, I like that. <laughs> so uh, this month we have Gwen Matthewman. Do you know who Gwen Matthewman is? I'm relying on you, Sophie Scott, to tell me all about it. Well, I think it's important that you should know about this knitter. So she's a knitter I should know about. Oh, definitely. Because <laughs> she is the world record holder for speed knitting between 1980 and 2005. Whoa. She was unbeaten throughout this whole time. 25 years. Yep. So she set the record um, in 1980 for knitting 111 stitches in a minute. And That's she was two a second. Yeah, she was remained unbeaten for that whole time. Um, so she set this record. There was like a little local competition. She was from uh, a little town in Yorkshire, West Yorkshire, and there was a competition in the local wool shop in Leeds. And she went along, and you know, wiped the floor with everyone, and then remained unbeaten. That is very cool. She passed away uh, in 2014. Um, and although her record has now been broken for speed knitting, mm -hmm. she remains the record holder for the most prolific knitter. So I have a little fact here from Woman's Weekly of 1969. Uh, in the year, she knitted 4,391 knitted items in the sh in wool-shaped garments is what the phrase, phrase they're using. Whoa. So that's... Um, Wait, whoa, in one year? In one year. So that was at least uh, 84 cardigans, there's pairs of mittens, uh, 25 ladies' jumpers and one teddy. And this was double her output of the year before. Whoa, I'm lucky if I make like four jumpers yeah. in a year. She does a thousand times more knitting than I do. Yeah, she, um, Holy hell. she ended up touring the world, um, being interviewed on like various record-breaking shows. Like there used to be the show Record Breakers. Oh, I love that show. Um, so she actually travelled to Japan because a uh, Japanese uh, scientist analysed her knitting technique. They thought she actually had machines hidden under her arms. She was there knitting so fast and they had to, like, analyse how wow. she knitted. I can't get over that she made over 4,000 mm. things in a year. That's insane. So, have you seen The Shining? Slightly off topic now. <laughs> I actually haven't. Okay. So you know me, I'm bad at films. So this actually links in because she knitted a jumper for Neil Armstrong. Uh, it was her own design and she knit it in six hours. Um, of a little uh, Apollo rocket, mm -hmm. a little blue jumper. Of course. Um, and then this, and she got like a little letter from NASA. I was trying to find out like what happened to the jumper. And I think, you know, NASA sent her a nice little letter saying, thank you. Um, but I don't think he wore it for any press photos. And there's no, seems to be no evidence he wore it in space either. So, but the, the design, uh, a copy of it was worn by Danny Lloyd in the role of Danny Torrance in uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. So you have actually probably seen that design already Whoa. if you're a fan of that film. So is that the sort of thing that might show up on your uh, Instagram Yes, thing? that's a good one. I should recommend those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should. Gosh, that's crazy. So in another little interview, I, I really enjoyed looking about this uh, lady, Gwen. Um, another interview, I, this was done in the 60s, this interview, but it's interesting the relevance it still has today because she said uh, knitting today is on the increase. You know, it's a popular thing, apparently. Mm -hmm. uh, she denies that it's a skill for old ladies, and apparently more and more young mothers in Britain are knitting their children's clothes for economy. Um, and she says um, people are discovering that hands knits uh, stay in shape and they last. Well, we it's, can endorse yeah, that. It's not just for the, young, the old kids, you know. No. Wow. Okay, so she knits, obviously, or knitted incredibly fast. Was she like a continental knitter? Did she do so, like, kind of Scottish under the arm technique? Yeah, I found some footage of her knitting while she was on the show, Redwood Breakers. And she has the very long uh, metal mm -hmm. pins and she sort of has it anchored under her right arm. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure, is that like, uh, is that called Scottish knit? No. Well, that's, I associate that style of knitting with the north of England and Scotland yeah. where, yeah, so, and, and people who knit like that can't use circular needles because mm. the way that they do it is, and I guess it's the same sort of like knitting belts would have done a similar yeah, job. Yeah, you kind of right? have it anchored in one way. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, she th was a thrower. Okay. But had it sort of anchored under her right hand, uh, her right arm. So she kind of had that fixed there and great, great speed. And apparently she went through about 500 pairs of needles uh, because she said they always had to be sharp. She couldn't have a blunt needle. As soon as she'd blunted them by right. working through them, they're out. And she had to keep up her quantities, you know. I'd love to know how many pairs of needles she went through in the year of 4,000 yeah. things. Like, that just means I'll never blunt needles. You know, like, I'll never... Like, maybe in my lifetime I'll make 4,000 things. Yeah. So the fastest knitter now is... Um, 
Well, apparently the record was broken in 2006, which is um, Miriam Teagles of the Netherlands, mm -hmm. who knit uh, 118 stitches in one minute. But um, yeah, Gwen Mathewson, she's still... Well, I think it's a record within itself to be a record holder for that long, for that record, if that yeah, makes 20, sense. Yeah, 25 years holding a record. Mm. Is. And, and also, I suppose, I mean, 118 stitches is amazing. There's obviously more stitches, but it's not a huge jump I suppose yeah to be beat but I mean wow it seems like she must have been kind of a character yeah there's a funny little um interview which she put on which is her husband talking after her death and sort of remembering her and he's like whoa everywhere just sacks of it in the house oh <laughs> just everywhere and her son's talking about yeah there was needles everywhere and he, when you sat down on the sofa you just had to just give the cushion a pat make sure there's nothing <laughs> underneath it before you <laughs> oh that's I mean, as far as knitters you should know about Go, hmm. this is the first one that I think I genuinely didn't know anything yeah, about. Yeah, as I didn't either. And it's yeah. um, spent quite a while on the Guinness World Records website. Do you want to know what the longest scarf ever Do made? I? <laughs> um, it was 4,565.46 uh, metres. Holy hell. And uh, the fastest time to knit a, hand, a jumper, mm -hmm. I hear. So uh, the process was timed when the wool was worn by a sheep to when it was worn by human, <laughs> uh, it was four hours and 51 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, wow. This was a competition in Australia in the 2004 International Back-to-Back -back Wool Challenge. Wow. There we go. So, <laughs> and as you should know about, and now you guys hopefully know a little bit more about, is uh, Gwen Mathewman. Um, good for her. Yeah. And uh, if you guys have any suggestions of knitters that we should know about, that you'd like us to talk about, the same applies. You can email us or catch up uh, on the Ravelry forums. All right. Our final section is top three, talking about the top things that we love. Yes. We like to just list sort of slightly arbitrary. I mean, is cheese arbitrary? No, it's very important. Yeah. This uh, leads to passionate debates on the Ravelry forums. <laughs> and just as when we had uh, our discussion about toast toppings, you guys were very enthusiastic. Also, it seems cheese is something that's close to people's hearts. Yeah, so we, we did our top three cheeses last uh, month. And as always, when it comes to these top threes, I'm already reorganising and changing the three that I chose. But they are forever recorded for posterity <laughs> and they are unchangeable. But you guys like all sorts of other cheeses that we didn't even think of. Um, Kilter Craft and Rachel Lely were talking about string cheese. Yeah. Love those guys. I remember the catchphrase the advert in the 90s used to be real appealable cheese, which is good. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a cheese string for like 10 years. I didn't even know they still made them. Baby bells. Some. I had a baby bell yesterday. It's kind of plastic cheese family, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, string cheese where you can kind of peel off all the separate bits and eat them. Genius. <laughs> good stuff. Less and, sophisticated, uh, but you know. Well, I mean, you know. Uh, Round Rabbit says that uh, they like Gouda because it's Gouda. Yes, cheese puns, uh, uh, very uh. good. Um, and uh, we're going Eki Jenny. Mm -hmm. We'll go. We'll say you're pronouncing it like that. She says you need a cheddar, but you know she agrees with that. But you definitely need a smoked cheese. But you can get smoked cheddar. So she says that's going to be a good option as that well. That is a good option. Very clever. And I do like a smoked cheese. So you know, it's sort of like uh, I become full of regret when people suggest things. I'm like, oh, I mean, what I really need is a top ten, top twenty. Cheeses. I'm just going to sit and eat cheese and then <laughs> and Claire H uh, mm -hmm. recommends each cheese with a fruit and very sophisticated but she's French so I think she she knows her cheese and she knows her pairings and she knows sophistication and speaking of uh, Claire H uh, she recommended uh, a top three for us mm -hmm. uh, which she kind of called the hall of shame like knitting projects that have gone wrong mm -hmm. but ultimately we've learned from them Rather than having our philosophical section in the uh, top tip, we've got it here at the end. Mm. Something to to leave you all musing upon. So I was thinking about projects that have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and most of them seem to be from all around the same period in my life when I was knitting, <laughs> maybe like 2008, where I was mm -hmm. just starting to think, yeah, I can make actual garment things. So I've given them each a title. Uh, so <laughs> number three, floats. What are floats? So this is when I was knitting a small baby jumper mm -hmm. for a cousin and the middle of the jumper had like a little cat tiger face mm -hmm. motif and the rest of the jumpers went pretty smoothly. But the, I should have done, I realise now I should have done Tarsia 
to do this cat and done like the outline and the face. But the back of it was so tight and puckered so that you ended up having this really distorted tiny cat face that was kind of all wrinkled in because the back of my knitting was so tight. <laughs> so it was all right, but it looked a bit angry and kind of <laughs> squashed. You know, kind of get the Persian cats that kind of mm, squashy yeah. face. So that ultimately I learned a lot of about colour knitting, but it was sad. I think I actually gave it to a charity shop because I was a bit ashamed to give it as a gift. But some someone will find it and love it somewhere, I'm sure. That's true. So that that was that was something I learned something from. Okay, good. But you know, it showed me I could do a jumper. Um number two was one of the first garments I made for myself. Mm -hmm which I've just na named Bamboo Yarn. Yeah! <laughs> so I actually posted a picture of this on Instagram recently because I found the pattern which it came from, which was like a, an article in the newspaper. It was like, very easy go-to cardigan. I was like, yeah, I'll make that. And I made it, it was a bamboo yarn, you know, suspect already. Um, neon pink, like electric pink. Mm -hmm. Um... And I wore it quite a lot, but it was just kind of a bit weird shape. Mm -hmm. I never knitted the button band on it, but still would wear it. Um, maybe if you guys are lucky, I'll try and see if I can find a photo of me wearing that. So you can experience that. I mean, I think it just go to show I wasn't really thinking about yarn quality mm -hmm. or... Or like how well shape. the yarn matches the yeah, pattern. Because bamboo yarn, great. Maybe not for a first cardigan. Yeah, so I think it taught me a lot about thinking about an end process mm. rather than uh, just being like, yeah, yarn and knitting, go! <laughs> so I think it taught me that. And my number one disaster was... Oh boy. Gage? What's Gage? <laughs> so it was kind of... I actually went and found it on Ravelry. It was like a Jean Moss, um, mm -hmm. who's like a you know well-renowned designer for like Rowan and stuff. And it was one of her... It was like an off-the-shoulder, kind of quite Audrey Hepburn 1950s little top. Mm -hmm. Like a big boat neck and it had like a tiny bow and it kind of went with the vintage look I was going for. And even when I began to knit it, I thought, this is looking small. I was like, oh well, and carried on knitting and knitting and I knitted it until the very last stitch when I tried it on. I was like, yep, it's too small. So that was really, really upsetting. Yeah. And I kept it for a long time. The shop I worked in at the time, they sort of displayed it. So it kind of had a bit of a life. But that did, did you give it to someone else so it could be worn or? Yeah, I gave it to the well. The shop was had it for a while as a display thing, and mm -hmm. I ended up having this is many years ago now. But that taught me a lot that if you think something's too small, it probably is, or at least because now I've realised that because sometimes things are too small, but it's just because they're not blocked yet. Mm. But you can put a lifeline in and block. What oh, you see, done so I wasn't far. even on the the radar radar of blocking. Yeah, so I probably exactly. could have changed it as well. Yeah. Anyway, so. <sighs> Kind of a little bit sad about all these things, but I suppose they're they're all part of the story, the the journey of knitting. Yeah, well, exactly, and and now you know you learned those lessons. And the other thing is that when people tell you, oh, you've got to check your gauge, mm. you've got to, you're like, yeah, 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 and then you screw up, and you're like, yeah. oh, which right. is now when I say <laughs> check the gauge, like, no, I can tell you that you like to. Come on, you actually need to do this. Well, Oof. so I've learned, I've learned, I've come far from these guys. You know, this is yeah. this is deep. All it right. is. What about you? <sighs> so. Um, I have the list in my head because I didn't write it down. <laughs> so at number three, I have the first jumper I ever made, which was for my then boyfriend. This is many years ago when mm. I first started knitting. And I think all I'd made so far was like literally scarves. Um, and... So I, you know, I got the yarn. It was nice yarn. I've still got it because the jumper failed. Um, <laughs> it's nice sort of Debbie Bliss tweed. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem was, so I made it, but I picked up the stitches for it. So it was like a seamless, you know, bottom up um, and then split for front and back. It was a very simple jumper. But the place where I went wrong was picking up the stitches around the armhole I did far too tight and not enough stitches I don't know how oh, I managed no. this because I'm sure I was following the pattern but I just did it wrong you know knit both sleeves he goes to try it on and it like he could get it on but it was like he couldn't move his arms <laughs> little t-rex yeah, like, and now you have to stand with your arms out um which of course wasn't the desired result of a jumper uh so I took the jumper back 
and was going to, you know, rip it back and redo it. But I just, I didn't. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And I think now I would do that because also, I mean, it was very thick yarn. It wouldn't have taken me that long. But it was just the, the feeling of like, oh. And I think I didn't at that point really realise the that you know it's quite often that I do still have to do things like that you know I finish something I get close to finishing something and I realize that oh no that's not quite right either because I've done it wrong or just because it happens that you know my shoulders are broader than the design you know all these sorts of things and so now I'm pretty sure I would just go back and change it but I think then the feeling of disaster was so strong <laughs> I was like but I but I finished it it was finished and it wasn't actually finished at all well it was finished but it didn't fit I think we talked a little bit about this when we were saying a couple of podcasts ago when you're saying, oh, if it's wrong and you know it's wrong, should you go back and fix it? Mm. And we think, you know, I think we always said like, yes, you should. And I think it's having, maybe having these mistakes, then you have the confidence later to go back and fix it. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. what was the second one? So number two was, um, and I think we even talked about this fairly recently. It was um, a jumper, again, a jumper that I... Uh, I made most of actually and the thing that went wrong was entirely my fault actually it was that I made lots of this pretty jumper and then just lost the pattern oh, no. and rather than trying to just find the pattern again or buy it again I just was like I'll just sort of make it up <laughs> what point were you at the, in the pattern I was like splitting for the front and back oh, and I sort okay. of felt like I'd memorised it but then of course you know with cables and their shaping and I wasn't ex nearly experienced enough at that point um, to do something like that just on my lonesome and I ended up sort of ruining what was a really nice project and just sort of losing interest in it because I felt like it had become a disaster like that other jumper and I could have again could have just ripped yeah. back to where I knew that the pattern was correct bought the pattern again or just actually found it uh, I think it might have been out of print temporarily and that was the problem but anyway that was like I don't know what I learned from that though I feel like I should there should be a moral to that story it's just one of my main sad like knitting yeah sort of um like incomplete projects that I feel sad about rather than an actual learning experience I don't know maybe it's that you know to move forward from the things Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That you know, and that I did have to just completely abandon that project eventually. I ripped it out and I now have that wool. So it lives on um in wool form. So number one is actually a bit more recent than the other two, uh, but still a few a good few years ago. Um and it's about matching yarns correctly to patterns. Oh, okay, yeah. So I made a pair of fingerless gloves uh for a good friend of mine, um, as a gift and it wasn't a hugely complicated you know, it was just a nice little thing, you know, sort of plain, fairly plain pair of fingerless gloves in a very beautiful yarn that was fun colours that I knew that she would like. And so I chose the yarn based on colour alone and thickness, I guess. But I just didn't think about how hard wearing it would be because, especially because I know that she cycles. And I know from my, I knew and I still know from my own experience that cycling really puts a lot of wear. Kind of eats up the wool almost. It yeah. really does. So like if you're, and it's like you don't feel like you're sort of, like, like but it's that little bit of friction of moving your hands from break to like stuff yeah there's something about it that just really wears out gloves quite fast um and i guess also because you get sort of little calluses on your hands mm. so it's clear that there's some kind of wear and tear happening there but basically the yarn was way too soft it was you know a lovely four ply that was meant for sort of shawls and yeah. maybe hats kind of thing something that's not going to take that kind of wear. anyway she wore them like three times and they got holes in them and I was really, I was kind of annoyed with her. I was like, I can't believe you ruined these. So I took them back to fix them. But then I just realised that I hadn't really thought about their uh, final end game purpose. Mm -hmm. I just, I'd thought about the colour um, and that was kind of it. That's as far as I'd got. So I definitely learned from that, that it's not only important to match thickness because that was sort of the main thing that I often, you know, get the gauge right. I'd sort of got that down by that point, but hadn't really thought about how well that yarn, it was like a gorgeous yarn. There was nothing wrong with the yarn. What was wrong was my matching of yarn and use. Um, and so I took from that where, you know, use something hard wearing if somebody's going to be uh, cycling the hell out of some gloves. Well, there we go. We've made these mistakes. So hopefully you guys don't have to, but there's probably situations which you've experienced the same. So you can come to the Ravelry Forum, come and share and yeah, 
We can all learn from each other, these mistakes that do happen. I think that was a nice suggestion. Yeah, um, thank you. Got me thinking, rather than us being, you know, I think it's refreshing sometimes, rather than us being like, yeah, the ending is great, and we finished all the things. You have the other side, which we can all to relate to, you know. Yeah, so that was our hall of shame. Yep, kind of ending on a thoughtful, slightly melancholy note here. Yeah, now. a little bit of pondering for everyone, but uh, I guess we can sort of say thank you, as we always do, to everybody, uh, to everybody who contributed via the Ravelry forums and who sent us lovely emails. We're podcast at pompommag.com. Uh, and don't forget to check out the previews. Thank you to Rachel Atkinson. Mm-hmm. And also, if you like this podcast, why not let the iTunes know? Yes, leave us a little review, little five-star review, maybe. Maybe, we can't suggest, but maybe. (laughs) And that would be really nice. And you can also subscribe and all those kind of things. Yeah, so come say hi. We'll see you next month. We love you. Bye! Pomcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott, with lots of help from Eli Block, who created the original music for this show. For more Eli-related music, go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks, as always, to Megan Fernandez, the co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Quarterly, and to Amy Collins, our associate editor, who does lots of work behind the scenes and is delightful. Thank you to Rachel Atkinson, our interviewee, and to Inspiration Knits, who sponsored this podcast. Thanks, of course, to all you podcast listeners, all you Pom Pom Quarterly buyers, and subscribers to both of those things. Send any feedback or thoughts to podcast at pompommag.com. And don't forget to join the Ravelry Forum on the Pom Pom Group.